BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I believe that if people have more support and more resources, they're going to take advantage of those opportunities. If I wanted to do what has already been done, I could stay, you know, doing what I was doing before. We're really trying to do something new and different. It is ambitious, but I believe that that's what it's going to take to make our city better. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former Chicago Public School CEO Janice Jackson, who is now running Hope Chicago. That is a nonprofit founded by Pete Cadens and Ted Koenig to fully fund post-secondary education for thousands of inner city kids. Janice, welcome. What a great transition for you. Oh, thanks, Fran. Thank you for having me. This is literally the opposite of going from the frying pan into the fire. You went <laughs> from the pressure cooker of CPS. Am I right about this? And the yeah, constant I, labor strife into a job that literally allows you to play Santa Claus. Well, that's one way to put it. But I, I definitely, uh, I was very intentional when I made my transition to to do something related to education that, you know, fulfills me because that's what I care most about. Um, but also uh, admitting that I needed a break from all of the drama. Yeah. And how does it feel? Your mission, this foundation's mission, yeah. is to raise and invest $1 billion in scholarships and other support over the next decade for Chicago yeah. students and their parents to yeah. attend college or grade school. What a noble and incredible goal that is. Yeah, and one billion with a B is what I remind myself every single day. But just just to talk about Hope Chicago a little bit and, and why our goal is so ambitious. Number one, um, when I was making my transition, there were a lot of opportunities that I considered, but none of them checked the boxes personally and professionally. Number one, this notion of bringing the families in, the two-generation model, really uh, struck me because like most Chicagoans, just seeing all the craziness that goes on in our city and at times feeling overwhelmed and confused by what we can do to solve it. This felt like a real solution to some complex challenges that we have in this city. Um, as far as the goal, we really want to shine a light on college affordability and really dismantle this perception that poor kids go to college for free. They don't. Um, you hear this term financial aid used a lot. Most people don't realize is that most uh, low-income students are taking out thousands of dollars in debt 
um, to go to college. And the sad reality is um, they're not completing college. So they're actually believing in the American dream, signing up to go to college, taking on, you know, thousands of dollars of debt and not completing. And so Hope Chicago wants to change that by taking away the financial barrier, but also putting in support so that we can increase the completion rates. Yeah, let's talk about the multi-generational approach to help Mm -hmm. both the students and parents. What is that about? Is that a way to try and ensure that students will have the emotional and financial support they need from their parents to not only enter college but finish? Or what Mm -hmm. is it really about? It's about a couple of things, Fran. The first thing is there's clear research that shows when parents have post-secondary degrees, you know, that changes outcomes for their children. We've known that for decades. Um, what tip, what is not clear is how to support adults who want to go back to school. You, if you miss that opportunity when you transition from high school, it's really hard to go back. And so what do the supports look like in order to do that? I also think that it's a, we're trying to change families, right? So the two generation model, as it's called, is not new. Typically you see it with adults and younger children in pre-K. So that would look like parenting classes or, you know, classes that teach parents how to teach their kids to read, things like that. But what is new is is that pairing with older children, because most of us as parents, you know, once kids are transitioning from high school, that's when you feel like you're at the finish line, Right. Uh, But what we're saying is that, no, you're not at the finish line. This is actually a chance to double down and you can also upgrade your skills at the same time. And then the last point that I would highlight on that is that we think that this helps not only that student and parent that's paired together, but most of our parents in CPS have multiple children, uh, on average uh, two 0.5 0.5 kids, right? And so if it's not only helping that pairing, but if the parent is educated, if the parent has a better paying job, we know that that has implications for so many things that will happen in the child's life. And the next two and a half kids or one and a half kids. Exactly. And exactly. what does half a kid look like anyway? <laughs> <laughs> That's just a bad uh, average number. I almost didn't say it, but it's the Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. um, what are most of these parents doing now that you're taking them away from? And how can a parent afford to go back to school full time? Yeah. That and now see that's that's the interesting part. So now I wanna say up front, we're gonna learn a lot, but this is what I know. When we made the announcements last week um, and based on what we saw in Toledo, we knew that roughly 20 percent of the parents would sign up for this opportunity and probably about 10 or 15 actually show up on the college campus. We had an overwhelming response from parents saying that they want more information, that they want to sign up. And so we see that as a positive sign. Most of them are in a position where maybe they started school, they want to go back and finish. A lot of them are maybe even thinking about finishing high school. We've had parents who they see this as an opportunity to even start there. They want to go back to school, but part of the reason they haven't gone to college is they didn't even finish high school. The 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 trick here is going to be how do you maintain a family, right? How do you go to work every day and take provide for your family and still go to school? One of the ways that we're solving for that is that the parents do not have to be enrolled full time. Now, students do have to be enrolled full time just because we know that the research says if you're enrolled full time, you're more likely to graduate. But parents, we are going to give them that flexibility. 
Part of the support that we're going to provide them is also with um, case management, how to have these conversations with their employers, because, you know, in our world, saying you're going back to college sounds good. But for some of our parents, their employer hearing that may change a conversation. And so we want to provide them with those negotiation skills to talk about that and to also help them explain how that's going to make them better, um, not only for their children, but for whatever companies they're serving. Um, we are partnering with uh, community-based organizations that have the respect um, and trust of community members like the Urban League, like Enlace and others, because they've been doing this work already. But now with the partnership with Hope, there's an opportunity to do that with more resources. And so I want to admit, we're going to be learning a lot about this, but I think the alternative has been we ignore it. People are trapped in low paying jobs or limited opportunities. And we're trying to uh, flip that. Last week, you announced what you called the inaugural cohort of Hope High School scholars at five CPS high schools, 4,000 yep. students, their parent or guardian were told they would get fully funded debt-free yeah. scholarships over four years to college or trade school. What was the reaction from the students and their parents at Farragut, Morgan Park, <laughs> Juarez, Noble, Johnson, and Al Raby? Was there disbelief? I, Were there tears? Was there laughter? Was, was there applause? Was it all of the above? All of the above. I mean, you saw the pictures, I'm sure, everything we posted on Twitter. Definitely jubilation and excitement. But also... People were shocked. And even some of the responses from some of the students afterwards is like, they don't believe it. And I expected that, you know, and I warned like our co-founders and our board, you know, because I understand this community. I'm from this community, these types of communities, I should say. And what people have to realize when you grow up in a community where there's a lack of investment, when you grow up where there's violence every day, where lack of opportunity, you don't feel safe, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's just the way you survive mentally. And so when you hear something like that, the question is always, it's too good to be true. They're making this big announcement and then they're going to come back and tell us you have to have a 3.0 GPA. They're going to come back and say, you know, we're, they're waiting on that. And so that's why it's incumbent upon us to make sure we're doing a good job working with the school counselors and the post-secondary team to make them understand and trust us um, to see that, like, all you have to do is sign up. And what I've been saying to a lot of people, you know, because some people are like, well, what about kids who haven't applied to college or can't get in? And I remind them that if you have a high school diploma, you can go to city colleges if you're a Chicago resident and they have rolling admissions. And so we are going to have people that, you know, maybe didn't think this was an option for them that now see the hope. Um, as a result of this. So it requires a lot of conversation. Um, I'm not naive about what it takes to develop trust in the community to get people to take advantage of it. Um, but I feel confident that we're going to be able to do it. And I'm excited, you know, to be doing this with my time. Now, why isn't there a mandatory GPA of 3.0, for example, just like the STAR scholarship that Rahm Emanuel started at City Colleges? Yeah. So Hope is a part of this co College Promise Network, which is what STAR is. But what I found with the College Promise programs, including STAR, is that GPA requirement sometimes is put in there because, you know, it, it narrows the amount of students. You know, if you want to make it manageable from a financial standpoint, there's research that shows if you have a certain GPA, you're more college ready than others. But what, what I would offer is that if we are really trying to change these problems that seem intractable, 
if we are really trying to disrupt what is going on right now, you have to go to students that haven't traditionally been taken advantage of these opportunities. Each school that we selected is unique. I mean, has a few characteristics. They're in communities of great need. They're in communities where high school and college attainment is much lower than a city average. And, you know, people can check that data on UChicago's to and through website. They have good leadership because that was important to us. But we also know that on some of these college access metrics, their rate is lower than the CPS average. We're not going to improve those percentages unless we go to the place where kids um, and families aren't taking advantage of these opportunities already for a variety of reasons. I have to tell you, Fran, as I'm raising money and I have a big goal, there are some people who don't believe in this. They think it's throwing good money after bad. But my my response is, and this is how I've always operated as an educator, if you don't teach people and give them the skills to take care of themselves, we shouldn't be surprised when we see certain outcomes. And so I believe that if people have more support and more resources, they're going to take advantage of those opportunities. If I wanted to do what has already been done, I could stay, you know, doing what I was doing before. We're really trying to do something new and different. It is ambitious, but I believe that that's what it's going to take to make our city better. Right. But if you don't, if you don't mandate a grade point average, Mm -hmm. you risk having kids that blew off high school that are not ready for college that, that, that do terribly. And then eventually drop out. Right. This is but this is the flip side to that, because that's the argument I get. But this is the flip side, Fran. Every we tell kids in CPS, college and career, college and career, we we drill it in. We actually survey them when they are ninth graders and over 90 percent say they want to go to college. No different than our kids. Something happens between over that next four years. And we can talk about that all day. If you are a kid who graduates with a 2.0 GPA. More than likely, you don't have any scholarship support. You probably haven't been selected for any special programs. The only support they've received is whatever they receive from the school. And we know how overwhelmed the counselors are there. And so we're going to send a student who has the aspiration, who wants to do better, off with no support and no financial support to, to finish. How does that make sense if we, on the other hand, say we want to solve the problem? If we want things to remain the same, then, you know, we should do exactly what you're saying. It should be all merit-based, GPA. We're going to get the same outcomes. But if we truly want to do something different, if we really want people to be in control of their own destiny and have the skills that they need to do that, we have to start investing in them. We have to learn what it's going to take for a kid with a low GPA to persist and complete college. We're going to have to learn that and we have to stop ignoring them um, and then wondering why our communities are suffering the way that they're suffering. So don't those kids need some remedial help before they yep. can really go to college and succeed? And how does this program provide it? Yep. So they do need additional support, but we work in in concert with the colleges. So one example I'll give you is like what we started um, prior to me leaving CPS with City Colleges, which is transitional uh, math and reading courses. And what that looks like is instead of saying, hey, you have to go and do this extra program before we let you in school, we're going to let you in, but you have to take these additional courses and classes to help catch up, get back on track. So the colleges and universities that we're partnering with, all of the Illinois um, public institutions, as well as the city colleges, they're agreeing to do that with the students. They're also agreeing to provide additional support 
for Hope Scholars, dedicated solely to Hope Scholars on campus, which is also something different. So when we're sending these kids to school, if they need support, they have the counseling services, they have access to all the other student services that colleges typically offer. But in the past, you would send a kid to college and they would have to navigate and figure that out on their own. And so that's the investment. That's the um, bet that we are making. That is the theory of change that we are trying to implement. But like I said earlier, I think the alternative is allowing them to finish school and just kind of languish and low paying jobs. And that's not going to help us have a strong community or a strong economy in the city. What colleges are we talking about? You've been sort of reluctant to identify them other than to say U of I, uh, Champaign, U of I, uh, Chicago. What other colleges are we talking about? So for this first year, it is every single four-year state university in Illinois. So Eastern, Northern, I can't name all of them, Northeastern, U of I, Illinois Illinois State, et cetera. Southern, exactly. We are in the process of signing our MOUs with them, our memorandums of understanding. And so obviously we want to make sure we get all of that inked in. But so when we took this to them early September, I mean, it was probably the shortest meeting I've ever had with every college where the answer was yes, mainly because the proposition around college has changed a lot. And they have seen enrollment declines due to the pandemic, but also due to the rising cost of college. We also have two private schools, which I want to talk about. Loyola and IIT have signed up. Now, what's interesting about private and out-of-state schools, the reason we started with in-state public schools is because of cost and because that's where majority of CPS students attend. And that's the case in every state in the union. If you are a private institution or an out-of-state institution, and we'll bring more schools on each year, they have to agree to tuition discounts that are in alignment with what students would pay if they stayed in state. So that's why it's a harder process to bring on some of the out-of-state schools and the private schools, because they have to agree to do that. But we have two right here in Chicago that have already agreed to do that. IIT has raised their own money to support our scholars. Um, So they're coming on board. And Loyola um, has the Arupe program that has been around for um, about eight years now that they're going to use to support our Hope Scholars um, to get them in and to make sure that the tuition is affordable. Now, why announce the first group of schools when you're still raising money to secure your promise to these students and their parents? You've raised $40 million. Mm-hmm. Who are you raising the money from and why would you announce the first group before you're already there? Yeah, well, we, we're very close to where we need to be. So we feel overly confident that we can make the promise. And I, you know, that was one of the deal breakers. I did not want to announce this unless we can make good on the promise. $40 million in five months is remarkable. You can ask anybody running a, a nonprofit that, you know, sometimes that's unheard of. I think the other thing um, that's important to note is that we have several um, uh, organizations who uh, we are looking to close very uh, shortly who have agreed to adopt full schools. So that's our model. We started with individuals that we know. We started with corporations that, you know, are already generous and support Chicago public schools. But part of our fundraising plan is to go to every single major corporation in Chicago and get them to adopt a school. If you look at the economy here, we have hundreds of companies that, you know, have valuations over a billion dollars. The money is here. What my job is, is to make sure that the wheel is there. If people look out from downtown or the north side and they wonder, 
what's going on in Chicago? What are we going to do in these communities that have, you know, violence and suffering and lack all these things? We have to step up and do something about it if we care about this city. And I reject any notion that we don't have the money to do in it in this city. And I think I'm the person that can convince people that this is a good investment, not only for our students and our future, but for the future of Chicago. Let's talk a little bit about what Hope Chicago actually covers. This is not just a scholarship. We're talking about tuition and books and room and board and fees and surcharges and a laptop and a small stipend. I mean, you know, people forget that when you get a scholarship to college, and I was one of those people at Northwestern, at least a partial scholarship, and I was working, it didn't cover everything. And here you're you're (laughs) trying to do a soup to nuts kind of thing almost. Yeah. And that's and and that's one of the reasons why the partnership with the college is so important. We can't just send the kids all over the country. You really have to have a connection to the university because they play a big role in that. And they are investing resources in our students as well. And and I don't think we've covered that enough. The other piece that we haven't talked a lot about is the role of the federal government. So Governor Pritzker in his uh, proposed budget has made an increase in MAP. We need that approved because the cost of college is too expensive and kids are taking out too much in loans. But we also need the federal government to give more money to Pell Grants. Um, The Build Back Better plan, you know, we know it's falling apart and and, uh, President Biden is trying to get that done. But I was very disappointed to see that the community colleges plan was pulled from that. You know, as a country, like we did with health care and so many other things, we got to have a serious conversation about our values. And if we really do believe that, you know, we need an educated populace, we have to invest in that the way other countries do. And quite frankly, the United States hasn't done that. It's a system where, especially if you're poor, you have to buy access to the middle class and you have to do that with more than tuition. I have had kids, friend, that have had full scholarships and still didn't go because the cost of going to and from school was too much or they didn't know, you know, what food was going to look like on a regular basis or they couldn't leave their families because they help provide some of the income that the family relies on. So it, it I think sometimes we forget how tough it is. It is incredibly hard to do this in this country. Um, and I think we forget that sometimes. Yeah. As school CEO, you saw firsthand how many black and Hispanic kids in particular, yep. who may well be the first in their families, not only to attend college, but even to graduate high school, may yep. enter college and not finish. Yep. What are the biggest barriers to that? And how does this program eliminate those? Well, the biggest barrier is about 40% come back because of money. That's the biggest barrier. The other barrier is around readiness, which is why um, the school system has to continue to improve to prepare them. But we also have to have the wraparound supports for our students once they get there. I think the other thing that we don't talk enough about um, are some of the cultural changes as well. For most of our students, Chicago's a very segregated city. So they've lived and gone to school with people who look just like them. And if you are a minority um, in this country, most of the time when you go to college, I don't care where it is, unless it's an HBCU, majority of the people there are not like the people you grew up with. And I've seen a lot of kids come back home because of that culture shock, um, that lack of support once they get there, um, you know, not feeling comfortable. So there are a variety of reasons, but the number one reason is money and um, readiness and Hope Chicago is trying to address those two issues. 
how do you deal with the culture shock? And we should say that HBCU is historically black colleges. Yes, thank you. We um, always the use acronyms and I, a lot of people I, don't know what the heck they mean. No, that's the CPS jargon thing. Thank yeah, you for calling yeah. that out. But um, so uh, the way we're solving for that is the posse model, which is what we're using. So students are going to go from these high schools to these colleges in groups. And as I stated earlier, there's dedicated staff at the college and university level. So that's one way you have a sense of um, community once you get there, which isn't always there. You know, you maybe get there and meet some other people from Chicago, but it's a little bit different when you you guys are a part of the same program and, and having similar experiences. Uh, we do think it's important as we expand the partner schools to have historically black colleges included, as well as institutions that predominantly serve um, Hispanic serving institutions, I should say, uh, because I think that that matters. That's not going to be what is needed for everybody. Um, but I do think that having some of those schools in our pool is going to be critically important because the last thing I want is for a student to not select an HBCU, which they make, they're going to get a different experience there um, because they're not a part of the network. So they're definitely one of our priorities for next year. Yeah. Do you see this as an anti-crime program? You know, we are struggling with this incredible violent crime. It just goes yep. on and on. And it's really at the cornerstone of everything that's it blocking is. Chicago at this point. It is. Chicago is really at a crossroads. Is this an anti-violence thing in the bottom line, that really? It, at the end of the day, this is going to help us with our violence problem. And let me just say this. I've lived in Chicago my entire life, lived on the South Side my entire life. The violence is out of control, and everybody knows that. And we're all working hard to try to solve those issues. But I do believe, and I, and I will continue to say this, you have to lift people up and give them an opportunity to take care of themselves. At the end of the day, all of the crime that we're talking about goes back to people having a uh, few economic resources. You know, the robberies, the crime, drugs, all of that goes back to people trying to get resources to take care of their families. And that doesn't excuse it. It's wrong and it makes our communities unsafe. But if we solve for those issues by giving them a better education, and I know I sound biased around this, but I really do believe education is the key to disrupting poverty. If we don't address poverty, we're not going to address crime in the city. And I think education is the best way to disrupt cycles of poverty. We got to make our schools um, safer and better so that our kids stay in school and not choose, you know, alternate tracks that have them out here committing crimes and doing things that make Chicago, you know, not live up to, you know, the promise of the kind of city that it could be. Pete Cadence co-founded Green Thumb Industries, the second largest cannabis company in the world with a current yeah. market capitalization of $6 billion. Yeah. And after taking the company public, he retired in September 2018. Before that, he started one of the largest solar companies. Ted Koenig is uh, chairman and CEO of Monroe Capital. How did you manage to hook up with these two incredible men? <laughs> did they find you? Did you find them? What happened there? Well, Pete found me. Um, so when I made the announcement, I had heard a little bit about Hope when I was at CPS, but it was like, you know, nice program. I didn't think a lot, a lot about it. Um, it. Pete has said this several times, and it's very true literally a couple of hours after I made my announcement, you know, he was reaching out and had everybody that he knew that we knew in common reaching out. We met and talked about this for like two hours and 
it was some, I knew it was something that I wanted to do. I know you don't know me well, but I'm a very spiritual person. I am moved by what I think is the right thing to do. And when I heard this, I knew it was crazy and ambitious, but I was also moved to do it. And I believe in what we're doing. I also wanted to make sure that Pete's heart and mind was in the right place. Um, you know, I wasn't interested in a splashy program with a lot of money with, you know, businessmen and VC types behind us, you know, just trying to look good. I wanted to know that he really believes in education because a lot of people don't. They believe in education for some people and not for others. And I wanted to make sure he was going to be committed because this will be hard. We are taking big bets on people. We are going to be making investments. Some are going to work out well. Some we're going to learn this wasn't the right choice. And I just wanted to make sure that he cared enough about this to stay the course. And and I got that from a series of converse, conversations. Ted Koenig happened to be um, doing a scholarship program of his own that I learned about uh, through one of the colleagues uh, that was support through one of my former colleagues that was supporting him in that. And so we had an opportunity to meet and we just brought these two forces together, uh, which I think is remarkable in and of itself. And the thing that was most powerful about it beyond the resources that they have is that they're willing to work to bring the business community along. Um, it's no secret. We have a very generous philanthropic community in Chicago from a foundation standpoint. If I'm being honest, the business community hasn't done enough to support the school system in education. And this is their opportunity to do it. Sometimes the excuse would be CPS is a black hole. I don't want to put my money in there. I don't know where it's going. Now you have a place where you you know exactly where it's going. We're investing in our students and investing in their future. And so now is the time for the business community to step up and support the children in this city. Earlier this week, former Chicago Public School CEO Arnie Duncan decided not to challenge Mayor Lightfoot next year. He didn't have the fire in the belly. He didn't want to leave his crime-fighting organization. That's opened up the field, and there have been people who have mentioned you and thinking, <laughs> is that just out of the question for you? Will you never run for elected office? Is anybody approached you? What do you think about that idea? <laughs> First of all, absolutely not. I do not want to be the mayor of Chicago. You can play that a million times. And I have I have no interest in that job right now. I've worked closely for eight years with both mayors. I know what the job is, and that's just not in my pathway. I'm an educator. Now, I understand politics. I love politics, and I want to support you know, the, the mayor who's currently leading this city and anybody who's in that position um, leading the city. But I, I have no interest in doing that. People who know me well know what I really care about most besides my faith and my family is education. If I'm distracted doing all this other stuff that has nothing to do with education, I don't personally think I'm going to be happy. So, no, I have no interest in that job. Um, and, you know, I'm supporting Mayor Lightfoot. When you left CPS, you bemoaned the toxic relationship between CTU and CPS that made your job so much more difficult. Have you seen any signs that that's easing up? Because we've had this recent work stoppage because of the mask mandate and uh, the other safety mitigations that disrupted classes for five days. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? You know what? I think that I, I'm not close enough to it to, to say one way or the other. What I will say as a parent is that I'm glad we didn't have the stoppage. I, I was upset that, you know, it was getting there and to see some of the stuff going back and forth. I was very proud of Mayor uh, Lightfoot 
for standing up and, you know, basically saying we're not closing schools and really taking a firm stance on that, because I know politically that's hard. I've been there, you know, during those deliberations. And I feel like enough is enough. The other thing that I I do think that CTU um, is paying more attention to what the public is saying. And they've had to they've had to be more accountable than I think they had to be in the past. You know, CPS was always the big bad guy. We're government People are going to beat up on us. That's that's just the role. And they're there to keep us honest. I think CTU was put in check by the people. CTU leadership, I should say, was put in check by the people that they serve, um, the students, the families and the rank and file teachers. People want what's right. People want schools to be safe. They want them to fight and advocate for the things. But there is a way to do that that is professional um, and that is a model for what we want our kids to do. And I will say this continuously. There were just times where things were just so ridiculous. Um, I just didn't want to be a part of it. And so I stand by that. And I'm glad that people have learned and that there seems to be a bit more civility. At least that's what I can see from the outside looking in. What about the bill in Springfield that would empower principals to unionize? Is there a danger there? Um, I worry about that mainly because our principals have been a key lever for improvement in Chicago. You know, I say I'm forever a principal. That's the best job I've ever had. And that's still the case um, because you are right at the nexus of both. You know, you get to influence policy, but you're with kids every day. Um, I think that if if principals are unionized, I worry that some of the innovation and progress that we're able to do without all the, you know, extra stuff will go away. And I think ultimately our kids are the ones who won't benefit from that. Um, So I think when I think there is a way to get what they want. organizations like the Chicago Public Education Fund have done a phenomenal job advocating for principals' needs um, while still allowing them to be managers and supervisors. I think when they start to unionize, they're going to give up a lot of the authority that they have. um, And and I just don't know how you run a district this large without, you know, a set of managers at the, the local level. I just don't know what that looks like. Are you worried about Pedro Martinez, your replacement, your uh, your successor, um, cleaning house and so many African-Americans leaving the top echelons of CPS? Yeah, well, first, I think Pedro's the right person for the job. Um, he is a strong leader, um, nationally recognized, and he's a Chicagoan. I know that's not a requirement, but I do think that it's a, a huge bonus. Um, I I think that every CEO has the right to pick their own team. I truly believe that the work is too hard. I will say, and I've said this directly to Pedro, I am going to continue to advocate and expect diversity at the top. I was very proud of the fact that our team was diverse ethnically. I was very proud of the fact that we have five African-American men in cabinet level leadership in CPS. We've never had those kind of numbers. And so um, I think he should, and I think he will make sure that there's representation at the top. But I am unapologetic about my belief that representation matters. And when you look at the data in Chicago, black kids are always at the bottom. And you can't fix that without having black leaders there. I know as a black leader at the table, the conversations I had to shift and the things I had to advocate for, for people to see our children. We need black leadership at the senior levels in CPS. So it worries you that he's cleaned that house. 
that way. Well, I don't know that he cleaned house on all of them. I think some people made their own decisions. Look, as, as hard as the job is in Chicago, if you work in Chicago and any leader will tell you this, you can get a job anywhere. They actually look for, for leaders from Chicago because of the innovation. I think every CEO has the right to pick their own team. I'm never going to question that. But what I will say is he's rebuilding his team, which I know he's working hard on. Representation matters. And I've had conversations with Pedro, and I know he believes the same thing. He's working on it. And finally, before we let you go, what prevents Hope Chicago from creating a system of haves and have-nots? You know, Mm -hmm. it's great for the schools that get chosen. What about those that don't? Well, we already have a system of haves and have nots. So uh, let's start with that. And Hope Chicago did not create that system. But what Hope Chicago is doing is we're going to the group of have nots that have been ignored for a long time and we're lifting them up. And everybody who believes that that is an issue they should help us do more. Like I've had principals and schools and parents reach out like, hey, what about this school? What about that school? And I believe they, we, we want to do everything. That's why I, we were very intentional about putting out this big goal because we wanted to shine a light on like what it would cost to really send CPS kids to college in mass. This is what the, the gap is. Um, so we want to do it for everybody. But if, if people think I'm going to wait around until we have all the answers and all the money to do it perfectly, that they just don't know me. We're going to get started. We're going to make good progress. And my goal is to bring other people along so we could do this for more children and families in the city. Janice Jackson, former CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, now Hope Chicago fundraiser. I think you got to get going on that fundraising for that billion yes. dollar goal. And I'm going to let you go and it. do that. You have work to do, girl. Yes, I do. <laughs> Don't Thanks, we all? Yeah. Don't we all? Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you all next week. All right. Bye-bye now.